fatherhood is the most difficult thing that I've done in life. After nearly 13 years and some good advice, I feel like I'm starting to get to grips with being a dad. But just when you think that you've mastered it, the rules change and another challenge comes along the way. I'm Brett Farrell and this is Fatherhood. In this episode, I talk to Ben Field. We chat about seasons, security and sincerity. Ben is married to Kate. They have three boys and one girl. He is a creative film director and is the head of film and television for Hillsong Church. You know, last year, I actually went through a a pretty traumatic season. I I had a a panic attack, an anxiety attack, and it kind of hit reset. We recorded this interview in his Sydney office at Hillsong's main campus, where he's been part of the church since he was 14 years old. How does faith play a role in your fatherhood? Uh, it's everything to me, really, because it's it's where my ability ends and, and God's ability starts, I think, in, in raising the kids. Ben's refreshing honesty, straightforward thinking and his natural storytelling skills are not something just for filmmaking. We ended up going to Vegas on the way through to the Grand Canyon to stop tonight in Vegas to tick the box. And we're walking down the strip in Vegas and I'm holding Bailey in my oldest hands and he's, he's like, hey, Dad... Yeah, buddy. He's like, what's a strip club? (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to Fatherhood with Brett Farrell, and here is Ben Field. So what were your plans regarding kids when you first got married? Because you were quite young when you got married. Yeah. Did you plan to be a young dad as well? Yeah, Kate was, my wife was 18, I was 23. We knew we wanted to give at least four to five years, maybe. Never thought I'd have four, I thought three at most, but we have a fourth. And to my wife's credit, thank God, because we had a little girl at the end of three boys being first, second and third. Okay, so if it had have been a fourth son. (laughs) Yes, well, that's you know what's funny is that I I remember praying in the delivery <laughs> room going, if this is a fourth boy, Lord help me. Like I, I literally, something a part of me was like, I just don't know how I would get through with this. This would probably be the, the thing that would break the back, I think, on life at that point. Tell me, who are the four kids? Bailey, uh, he's our oldest. He's 11. Uh, Mannix, we all went for unusual names. That's just Kate and I, I guess. Mannix, who's nine. Uh, Jai, who is seven. And Savannah is five. Okay, so there's no more coming? No, but I've got to put an end to that. I'm scared. <laughs> I am. I have the reference letter. You know what's funny is that I ended up going to the doctor and I ended up getting the referral. And I came home and I put it in the top drawer near the front door and went in. And I forgot about it, probably intentionally to begin with. And then as uh, pizza delivery pamphlets started stacking up in the mailbox, they ended up going on top. And it wasn't until we moved house about two years later, Kate's flicking through them and says hey, is this still valid? Like, do you need to go and use this? Like it was a coupon. So no, yeah, they can be thrown out. I'll have to go and get a new one. Yeah, you don't get the second one for free. No, you don't. Exactly. Being an only child, I always wanted more than one kid, but no more than two. I admire those who have more than two, and full credit to them, I don't know how they manage that demand. No matter how many you have, there is always that inner fear of, can I be a good dad? Look, in the end, it doesn't matter if it's a boy or a girl because the priority is building and shaping character. There's a photo on your Instagram account because it's taken from behind, so I don't know which son it is. But he's got his arms around Savannah. Yes. And they look like they're at a sporting event. Yes. 
And it's just one of those beautiful moments. Yeah. And why do they like each other <laughs> that much? Because it was beautiful. It was such a lovely photo. Yeah. Well, that was after a, a football game Mannix played. He plays AFL and Savannah was there. And as we're walking back to the car, he ended up just putting his arm around her and she ended up doing the same. But the the way that they were walking like that, you could you could just see in one picture how close they were and connected as siblings. But is that is that normal in your house uh, with all of them? No, probably them too. It's probably most common. They just have that same heart kind of connection. Um, I say they're both very much like Kate. So it was beautiful to see and there were the moments and I think I posted, you know, like they're the moments you you never forget, you yeah. know, as a dad when you see that. You see so much of yourself in your kids and then you, you hope and pray that certain elements of the things you you did. And that was the thing I always used to think, oh, don't be like that with me. And it was like, actually, no, be like that with me. Just don't do some of the things that I did, you know, and that's being, <laughs> that's being a parent. It's not so much who you are, but, you know, some of the things you did. But, but watching them and seeing that just melts your heart and you think that's family, you know, and that's yeah. what rewards me. It makes me feel really nice. Is there the counterpoint to that, which I guess most fathers had where you're sort of tearing your hair out some days and wondering with, why can't you just get along? Why, why are you? Yeah. Do you get that in your house we as well? We don't get it so much, no. And maybe they're years to come, I'm not sure. We have a, we have a very low tolerance for kind of nasty behaviour, you know, between siblings. And I think just because of the culture in the family that we've created, it's it would be so foreign to do that. They would feel, you know, they would be devastated if they ever got to a point where they, you know, did that. We've had slamming doors, we've had those kind of things, but... We snubbed them out pretty quickly. and Personally, I struggle with that balance between being disciplined, being fun and, you know, trying, yeah. to, trying to be a parent who brings some order and mm. also, you know, trying to be relaxed about things. Yeah. When you've got this low tolerance, what, what happens? Like the kids break the tolerance level. What do you guys do? We always wanted to talk to them as adults. One of the things we always aimed to do, when Kay was raised, she, she was always treated like, she wasn't treated like a child and that was the parent. And I don't think I was ever either, but, um, like, we don't smack in our family. Where Kate just said at the beginning, we're not going to smack our Wooden kids. Wooden spoon's gone. Gone. And that's how I was raised. If you, you know, cross the line, you got disciplined for it. So that was really hard. But then you go, well, I don't really want to hit my kids either. Every now and again, you know, you feel like that's the only way. <laughs> but, but we don't do it. The hope underlying the photo is what I want for my kids. That they get along. Yeah, I know, siblings. They should annoy each other, just so long as no one else dares do it. That love for each other that Ben has managed to instill in his kids, it's the something deeper that I want for mine. A book that I read, um, there's 25 things a father should know about their daughter, and they had one on the son as well, and it just kind of started breaking down. And it was interesting because they're things that you kind of you know, you know, but you don't that takes a lot of time to do it, you know, just the sense of adventure in boys. You know, you don't have to be going out to the beach with a nice cafe, the things that you think would be nice for them, mm. just going on a bushwalk and throwing rocks into a river and, and <laughs> making up stories about, you know, an old village that used to be here and, you know, having all that and it's like tops them up. They're like, this is the best time ever and they come back muddy and, you know what I mean, and we think it's, you know, taking them somewhere nice that's going to yeah. cost you. And so... You know, those kind of things you, I learn over time, you know, that it's just never lose sight that, you know, just going on an adventure with them or spending time with Savannah, just spending time, just sitting down, you know, 
Um, she often plays in her room and I'll walk past and think, oh, she's occupied. And then I'll go and sit and watch Netflix. And I'll be like, why don't you just go in and sit on the bed and ask her what she's doing? It might take half an hour, but for her, that's the world. To yeah. her, you know. So it's little things like that. Being present, not thinking that you're just there to mind them as a dad or make sure that they're safe, but but spending time with them, investing in them, um, being a friend with them, you know, and being into what they're into. Um, the, the one thing that taught me, which I love out of this book, was get your kids to teach you something. And so quite often I'll walk in and they'll be playing a game and I'll be saying, can I play? And they'll be like, oh, no, you probably won't be very good. And I'm like, well, can you teach me? Yeah. And, you know, I could have walked down and gone, oh, you're right. I, I, it's probably a, it's a pretty kiddie game anyway. I probably don't want to play it. But it's like, can you teach me? And their eyes just light up like I'm teaching dad something. Yeah. You know, and so little things like that that you just you feel rewarded by just investing the right time into. What, what is probably your biggest fear with the kids or being a father? Um, nothing at this point because I think it feels very safe at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, no one's driving, no one's <laughs> going to no one's going to parties. It's quite innocent right now. You know, they're into their own little worlds and it's primary school and it's all of that. In the future, I don't know because I, I was a I was a bit of a rat bag in my teenage years, so I've kind of seen it all and done it all. So I kind of know the tricks, you know, I kind of know that. So, you know, I remember like vividly even just being driven to the Blue Mountains one time to a friend's birthday party. It was meant to be a sleepover and my dad didn't know until my friend who we took up went to get his overnight bag out the back and just beer bottles fell out of it, he didn't <laughs> zip it. And just things like that. I'm Master like, And then you think, oh, no, we're sprung. And it's like, dad knows, of course he knows, you know. <laughs> I look at now at the my kids' friends, and I'm more interested in who their friends are okay. and how they're going to shape my son and the things that he's into, you know. Yeah. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Yes, exactly. And how does faith play a role in your fatherhood? Uh, it's everything to me, really, because it's, it's where my ability ends and, and God's ability starts, I think, in, in raising the kids. He knows everything, you know, and I only know what they choose to tell me you know, or what I can help with. I pray for my kids all the time and just pray that they would make wise decisions and that, you know, God would be with them, you know, wherever they are. Discipline is important, but I'm challenged now that it's more about the culture that I create. With your job, you sort of flit between Sydney and Los Angeles. Yeah. How do you maintain consistency as a father when you're away? Kate's amazing, but thank goodness for technology and FaceTime and all those things, and we stay connected on a daily basis when I do travel. But when I started travelling a lot, I ended up asking a, a friend of mine who who travels you know, on similar kind of schedules, and I said, how do you guys do it? And he said one thing that his wife has always done is she, she's represented me when I'm not at home like I am there. And so just because Dad's out of the picture for that week or those two weeks overseas, it's very much not out of the picture of what's going on. Or having Kate bring me into the picture on things that need to be brought in, or let's wait till Dad gets home for those, right. or upholds those things. When you're away, do you miss them? Do, they, do you notice a difference in the relationship you have oh, yeah, with the kids? Absolutely. And to be honest, like I, I like it because I, my personality is I, I, I can kind of run away with the the future fairies too much, you know, where I'm so focused on what's coming next and what's ahead and so on and so forth that I forget the now. And, you know, last year I actually went through a a pretty traumatic season. I I had a a panic attack, an anxiety attack, and it kind of hit reset, shut my whole body down and 
took about three to four months of just recovery, no work, long walks, reading, you know, praying, meditating. And it just started to make me realize how valuable the family right in front were, the ones that were there every day, and that I had to kind of recondition my brain and my mind and my drive to understand that this season one day is all going to be gone. Mm. And you don't want to race through that because opportunity is knocking now and you've got to run, you've got to go, and you've got to go. If we had this conversation this time last year, I probably would have said something completely different. But, I mean, you know, my oldest is 11 and my youngest is 5, and we've done a lot of life together already with the family, but I've only had these revelations recently, you know, that it's like, you know, the family is the most important thing. As especially as a father and as a male, this drive to support, this drive to succeed sometimes blinds you from, you know, what's happening right in front of you. Yeah. And you never get those years back at all. You never get them back. No. And so, you know, that was I'm grateful as hard as that season was for me. I was so grateful. It was like a, a slap in the face with a big wet fish. Like it really was. It was a wake up call to say, wow. Do you not see what you have right in front of you? You're living ten years ahead. What if, and we, you know, and so on and so forth. But you'd be happy to walk out the door to chase those dreams and not realise what you've left behind. What triggered that anxiety attack you've spoke of? Uh, probably just running too hard, running too fast. You know, I the the growth trajectory in my career was going faster than I could handle, um, much faster than the, I guess my character could keep up. And I wasn't one for slowing things down. I'm not one to say, oh, let's just see how it pans out over the next couple of years. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, we can do this on Monday. <laughs> People will be like, well, it's two days away. And I'm like, yep, that's right. So let's get ready to go. That had to change in me, that drive. But yeah, like you said, I, I always knew those things were valuable, but I, I'd never felt them as being needed to put value in them. Right. So with that, did you have to explain to the kids, hey, listen, dad's dad's feeling a bit however you're feeling. Right. So maybe go a bit easier around dad, cut him some slack. Or- oh, not at all. No, I, I dove into everything kid related, school pickups, the drop offs, hanging out, like did probably, I don't know, maybe in some part of me was trying to make up maybe for the guilt of the last 10 years of being too ambitious and you know, just letting Kate do the kids thing and I'd be the provider and I'd come and go and I'm building for the future and all the things that have this kind of mindset of being a noble fatherhood duty or a man's duty to the household. But what they were lacking was was the time, right? And they were lacking just being family and having relationship more than. And, you know, I don't know, you're always you're always just thinking we're going to pay the mortgage and, you know, we're going to pay the car off and we're going to get this and we're going to get that. And they're all real things, but not at the expense of the quality time, you know, with family. I love technology, but I know how it's used to influence and shape. Our kids live in a different generation and for all technology's good, some things have not changed. It's who's influencing them that matters. I want to know what they're watching online and who they're talking to. And I'll do my best to ensure that my kids have healthy influences with friends who encourage them and they know how to have technology serve them. But I can only do that if I invest the time. In your line of work, I mean, it's you know it's TV to be sure, mm-hmm. but there's a ministry wrapper, right. I guess, around what you do. Yeah. Did that have any impact on how you saw yourself? I'm doing this for a greater cause. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing about 
vision and calling within ministry world is that it, it can propel you, you know, much further, especially when, you know, in my case, opportunity was knocking faster than I could open the door to it. And some of it was good opportunity and some wasn't, and I probably wasn't even in the right state of mind to discern, you know, between both. You know, for me, I dreamed of Los Angeles, dreamed of the film and TV industry since I was a teenager. Growing up in Sydney, you don't have a lot of big opportunities like that, so you you do whatever you can. And I think the trick for me was Kate's always been a very releasing wife, and has seen, you know, when I'm when I'm happy and I'm feeling like I'm I'm in the zone, she's like, "You got to go! Like that's amazing! You got to go!" And for a guy, that's the tricky part because. Although it's like, you should go, and I'm like, great, I've already packed my bag, see you later, yeah. and I'm out the door. Or was that really, you should go, no, no, it's a test. Yes. <laughs> it's probably like, you should go, but like, just think about, you know, everything you else. Missed the the you missed the last bit of the sentence as yeah, you're exactly. in the taxi to the exactly. airport. That's exactly the picture. And so that, you know, that season last year helped me kind of understand how, how good I had it and probably where I I misunderstood or I just... I listened to the parts that were going to feed or fuel yeah. where I was going. But yes, ministry calling, career opportunity, all those things lumped into one space. Yeah. I mean, if you were single, still living in your parents' home, go for it. Yeah. Like, fly around the world. I mean, there's very much you know, a lot of opportunities where I wouldn't even need to come back for three or four months because there was so much happening around the world that you could literally live out of a suitcase. And so at times in the early days, I would somehow resent, you know, sometimes, oh, gosh, well, I have a family, so I have to go back. But but that all had to change. Like, you just realised it was unhealthy thinking, you know. And then when you're looking at your kids and they're, they're losing teeth and they're going up next grade at school and you think, hang on a sec, stop for a second. Like, this is the most important thing right now. I can relate to that struggle. The one thing I've learned is that to be a better dad... I had to be in a better place mentally. And that meant a new place geographically. So there were some major life changes. One was simply to move much closer to my work. That gave me two and a half hours a day back to my family. But maybe, and more importantly, I'm healthier mentally and physically. And that means I can be a better me. The, how's that changed the influence you have on your kids? Time, I think, more than anything. You know, you know, I used to think I'd come home from a trip overseas, and as long as I had the latest Avengers dolls or videos in there, like the kids would be fine. That I left for two weeks, they were just happy that I came home. They were ecstatic if there was gifts, but they were just happy that I was home. You know, John and Helen Burns, who we would actually do a show on our channel called Sex, Love, and Relationships, and I asked them the question one time. Is it, is it quality time or quantity time that matters most? And they said, it's just time, like just spending time being mm. present, you know. And I see that in the difference between being open in the car, you know, when we're driving to and from football, just to open up the conversation around what's going on at school. And, and those conversations can't be too far apart you know it kind of has to be this regular even just being vulnerable in my own past to my kids you know we're in we had the last year we were in in america i was able to take the family over for a few months and we ended up going to vegas on the way through to the grand canyon to stop tonight in vegas to tick the box and we're walking down the strip in vegas and i'm holding bailey in my oldest hands and he's he's like hey dad and i'm like yeah buddy and he's like what's a strip club 
<laughs> and I just remember thinking, thank you, Vegas. Like, this is, this <laughs> you is hilarious. Are a gift. <laughs> yeah, you're a gift. We're going to have this conversation now. As we're, and, and you know what? Like, part of me was like, this is awkward, you know, abandon ship, abandon ship. And I just remember, <laughs> I remember in my family, we just didn't talk about stuff like that. Yeah. You know, it was like, oh, we don't talk about that. Close that's what high school was for. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's and that what's probably what started the journey of finding out the hard way or finding out the wrong way, you know, as you get older. But I had to make a decision right there, you know, on the strip that I was going to be vulnerable and say, you know, what I believed it was, you know, and, and what it meant to me. But then one day you'll have to figure that out, you know, for yourself of whether you think that's right or wrong. And then... So we had that, and I was really proud of myself. Going, all right, we've started the the open, vulnerable talk now, and mm. hopefully, this is just how we do things from now on. We're not going to hide things just because yeah. it's awkward. We're just going to be this is what it is. And then we get around the corner, and and they smell marijuana because it's legal there, and they're like, "Oh, what's that? <laughs> oh, that's marijuana. What's marijuana?" So then we have the whole drug conversation, and. And then someone's smoking a cigarette. Dad, did you smoke? And I'm like, oh, yes, I did. If we're going to be honest <laughs> now, I guess I better tell you everything. <laughs> so I found that I found that helped was just treating them not like your kids and just trying to you know put earmuffs around their heads and shelter them from everything. Like for most of us, Ben, that's like, hey, Dad, what's a strip club? Oh, yeah, nothing. Exactly. You'll find out when you're older. Exactly. Like- well, you know, that's what I thought the the honour of being a dad in that was that I was able to share my point of view on that, which was, and I just said, you know, some people believe that or some people think that it's okay to pay girls money to take their clothes off for their own entertainment. And then I left it at that and he's like, it's kind of weird. And I said, it is weird. But isn't Kate jumping in at that point going, and it's wrong? No, she's she's 10 metres back holding the <laughs> holding the hands of all our other kids. Oh, right. But, but what I, you know, to follow up with that, I just said to him, Daddy doesn't believe that's the right thing. And when I see girl on the strip there in Vegas, there's showgirls with just tassels covering, you know, the, the, need, the needed covered parts. You know, so he's exposed to all of this at 11 walking down. It's, it's a magical place, this Vegas for kids. <laughs> But I was able to say, you know, that's somebody's that's somebody's daughter, that's somebody's sister, yeah. you know, and bring it into context that it's human beings and people make decisions, it's okay, you know. Because my kids were like, oh, that person's smoking. If someone's smoking at the school gate, they get out of the car and they're just like overdramatic, like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> they're like, oh, that's disgusting. I'm like, don't do that. And they're like, but it's it's disgusting. Why are they smoking? I said, that's their choice. Yeah. Oh, but then that, that makes you, I know that's their choice. And I would hope that you choose the right way, but we don't judge people because that's what they want to do. So, yes, avoid it so you don't have to smell it. But And having that dialogue, getting down on their level and kind of sharing with them a slightly larger world or perspective, I think, has helped in, um, in raising them, I've found. I totally get it. When my kids went to bed at 7pm, I made sure that I was there. It was not the best thing that I could have done for my career, But for that season, that is where I wanted to be. And as seasons change, so do we. Saturday mornings aren't our own. We get up, there's dance on, but Saturday afternoons are ours. Sundays is church and then we have family over sometimes. And then Monday through Friday is school and it just on repeat, on repeat, on repeat, on repeat. And that's, I think, what most family life is. And I think once you realise this is what it is and we love it, and it's seasonal, you know. When I get down in the dumps, I'm always saying to Kate, like, 
we just need to go away for a week, just you and me. Like, can we just dump the kids with the parents or whatever? And that's when I know I'm at my lowest point where I'm just like, the routine kills me. Like, it really does kill me. The same thing, the same thing over and over again. But we've got to the point now where me going away was tough. Now Kate needs me to go away, I think, for my own <laughs> for my own sake. And then she gets into her routine. So, like, on this last trip, I said, I know it's not the best time. She was sick. I said, no, I know it's not the best time for me to go. She goes, no, you need to go. And I'm like... Thank you. I do need to go. You are correct. I can do so much more for my kids than shelter them, helicopter parent them and send them to the right school. But really, as their dad, I am one of the biggest influences in their life. And honestly, just being real and being there is more than half the battle. Ben's a guy who has embraced life and family and how he can be his best. He hasn't had a rock and roll career or raised kids who are famous, well, not yet, and nor has he had the challenges of adopting a child or delivering his own baby. He's just a guy who's lucky enough to be in a position where his heart and skills collide, trying to do his best to get it all right and do it really well. I hope that I can be like Ben when I grow up. Give me your best dad joke. What do oh you got? Gosh. You got a now, I had to, now, I had to search a few. I'm not a dad typical joke guy. Give me. How does Darth Vader like his toast? How does Darth Vader like his toast? On the dark side. Beautiful. <laughs> That's been great. There you go. None of us have perfected being a dad, so together we can all learn and try to improve. Enjoy the episodes in the podcast series and share them with your friends because as Bob Dylan warned us, the times are changing. The show's producer and editor is Loretta Farrell. I'm Brett Farrell, and this is Fatherhood.